the one thing that I would sum up with, um, and I, I think this echoes what Bill's kind of saying is like, the Carney task force is used to working at governmental level and big, big corporate <clears throat> level, et cetera. And that's all important to actually get us to scale. But let's not forget that what is going to drive this and make it a success is the entrepreneurs globally that will drive these businesses and adapt, whether it's somebody running a forestry project or an ag project on the ground in Central America or Africa or deploying cook stoves or whatever. But the scale, you know, this is the biggest opportunity of our lifetime. And um, we have to succeed. So when we talk about, uh, is it a two years to the market develop or five years? It's got to be closer to the two years because if you look at the, the types yeah, of reductions that we have to get to by 2030, we better, we better move quick. Welcome to Smarter Markets, a free weekly podcast featuring stories from the entrepreneurs and icons of commodities, capital markets, and technology, ranting on the inadequacies of our systems and riffing on ideas for how to solve them. Together, we explore the question, is capitalism in crisis? And will building smarter markets be the antidote? Welcome to Smarter Markets, a weekly podcast that explores how financial and technology markets can be redesigned and improved to better serve market participants and society as a whole. Smarter Markets is brought to you by Abex, and today we present a very special episode of the podcast. In the inaugural installment of our digital roundtable series, we rewind the film back to July 13th's seminal webinar discussion a path to scaling voluntary carbon markets. The conversation features Josh Crum, CEO of Abex, Peter Fusero, CEO of the Wall Street Green Summit, William Passos, Managing Director of Air Carbon, Joe Raya, Chief Commercial Officer at Abex Exchange, Andy Ertel, Founder of Evolution Markets, and Bruce Tozer, Co-Founder of Base Carbon. Stay tuned. The Smarter Markets Digital Roundtable for the benefit of air, sea, and earth is up next. And now back to this week's episode of Smarter Markets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. Uh, to all the, those joining us today on behalf of Abex Exchange, Smarter Markets, and Abex Technologies. I'm Joe Rea, Chief Commercial Officer of Abex Exchange. Last week, the Mark Carney Task Force on Scaling Voluntary Carbon Markets released its much-anticipated final report. This report, which comprised over 400 pages, certainly has raised the global awareness of the need for more standardization in carbon markets. Comments on both sides of the debate so far have been surprisingly muted. Our discussions today will focus on emerging trends in the voluntary carbon offset markets and how this report will impact the development of much-needed global standards in carbon markets. Joining me today for discussions is a really terrific panel, including Bill Pezos and Tom McMahon, co-founders uh, of Air Carbon Exchange, and Bill being a TSBCM advisor, Bruce Tozer, an ABEX senior carbon market advisor, Andy Ertel, CEO of Evolution Markets and Chief Investment Officer of Evolution Environmental Asset Management, and Peter Fersaro, senior partner, ESG, Oxford Global Accelerated Ventures. 
to the panel. I'm really glad that you could all be here with us today. You're all respected in each of your uh, sectors in today's environmental markets. You've really all dedicated your entire careers to finding market-based solutions to climate change. And I encourage everyone on the call today to view their bios of the panelists on LinkedIn and to further engage them and their companies to help further develop this marketplace. So I will jump right in here. I'm really eager to dig into the task force recommendations and the reactions from everybody on it. But first, we thought it would be important to set the stage here, to set the foundation. Peter Fasaro, you've been at the forefront of the development of these markets for over four decades. We have worked together when we set up the Green Exchange back in the mid-2000s. Can you put to task the work of the task force into context of what's gone before us? And what are the voluntary markets? Set the stage here of where we came from and where we are today. Thank you, Joe. Well, the voluntary markets really came about in the early 2000s. And we had something called the Chicago Climate Exchange, which I was a member of the Trading and Markets Committee. The idea was to push forward compliance-driven markets. Well, in the U.S., we never got there with Waxman-Markey in the House, but never a Senate bill. So the reality is, the good news is there's a lot of knowledge of carbon markets existing in the world. There are a lot of people that have been to the rodeo before. They know how to do this. The bad news is we wasted about 10 years doing nothing. So the last decade, it was not much of an interest in carbon. However, the last three, four months, my phone's been ringing off the hook. People are extremely interested now. Uh, the difference now is there's going to be tremendous corporate buying of carbon credits and the 64 compliance markets aren't going to get the job done. So we're going to need voluntary credits. I'm also getting calls on things like blue carbon, ocean carbon. So the reality is there's much more of a buy side of this market that didn't exist before. As I mentioned, it was voluntary on the Chicago Climate Exchange. And where we go now is the need for better standards on what people are buying, because otherwise we're going to fall into the conundrum of greenwashing, particularly from NGOs, and corporates don't want to do that. So we've got kind of the perfect storm. ESG, SDGs, Sustainable Development Goals, all of this is driving investment into a sector of sustainability. And carbon offsets are going to be the way forward for the next decade in terms of carbon neutrality for many corporate buyers. For example, the airlines and shipping industry have 40-year technology cycles. They're not going to be able to upgrade more than they already have in terms of fuel efficiency, composite materials, et cetera. So they're going to be major buyers. Steel which is 8% of global greenhouse gas production is starting to move into hydrogen, but they're going to be big offset buyers. So we have the now the change is the need to buy credits and the voluntary market, in my opinion, is going to scale a lot more than 50 and $100 billion numbers being thrown around. It's going to be a lot larger than anyone realizes. And we have all the pieces. We have the third party verification companies. We have exchanges, we have brokers, we have all the ecosystem in place. So I'm going to leave it at that, Joe. Oh, that's that's a great foundation setting for that, Peter, and it's appreciated. I'll switch over to you, Bill. Now, you and Air Carbon, you've been uh, a participant in the working group, the Mark Carney Task Force Working Group. What was trying to be achieved there? What, you know, what does the market need here? Did standardization come out as a recommendation for the, uh, from, the, from the task force and their final report last week? Yeah, I think it, it definitely fell short of the mark. 
but uh, the the initial impetus was to create standardization, transparency, and quality, and that those would be the main drivers for scaling the voluntary carbon markets. So that, as a premise, sounds very sort of um, acceptable to someone like me that you know believes in in market forces. Instead, what we what came out the other end, pun intended, is actually a very bloated governance body with an upwards of $10 million three-year budget um, that potentially will stifle innovation and not allow market forces to uh, go forward. Now, that's where I see the danger. There are other good things that came out of it, um, but I'll let I'll let other people talk about that. <laughs> Okay. It's, it is it is controversial. It certainly seems to be a more top-down approach. I mean, uh, you and Tom have been involved in these markets here for quite a bit. Any, uh, any further thoughts on how we get to the next step here from the task force? What is the next step? They've set out to put in governance boards. Um, do you feel that this is the, uh, a way that we can get to a point of standardization that the market really needs? I'm wondering if Peter, I mean, has the same feeling. I, 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 when I see this construct, I think a lot about the CDM executive board. You know, market forces can differentiate quality very easily. You don't need to legislate quality. The market will tell you if your carbon credit is worth 20 cents or if it's worth $100. So, you know, legislating that from the top down is a very dangerous thing. And, and it just begins it. It resonates of the CDM executive board to me. Got it. So, Andy, um, your work at Evolution Markets, you guys are arguably the leaders, Evolution Markets being the leaders in environmental markets for many, many years. Uh, I worked with you when we set up the Green Exchange back in the mid-2000s. So, you've you've seen it all. You've seen the marketplace come from from different aspects of trying to be regulated, trying to be voluntary. Um, what, how are your clients reacting to these latest recommendations and what, what, what are the trends that you and your brokers are seeing every day now on the desk in the global markets uh, globally um, and carbon markets that potentially can lead to a global standardization? Do you see any of that coming down the road? What are they asking? Well, first of all, I think the market reaction has been fairly muted um, so far. However, you know, I just want to kind of put this all in perspective. So we arrange several billion tons of carbon a year um, and a very small fraction of that of in 2020 was or in 2020 was on the voluntary side and the offset side other than stuff that was going to the California market and our volumes are up 20 25 times this year over last year in the same period and so there is this big movement and I think Peter Peter talked a, a bit about it but I think we're kind of at this watershed moment, right? Up until now, in my 30 years in the environmental markets, and I did my yeah. first carbon trade in 1994, my first SO2 and NOx trades before that. But you know, up until now, it's been the stroke of a pen or the vote of a legislature that actually created these instruments um, in terms of, of trading. And now we have consumer sentiment, driving corporations, investor requirements driving corporations and corporation corporations looking to enhance their brand and in many ways 
The voluntary market today looks like an art market. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And to get to the scale, to get to, you know, 25 billion in reductions by 2030, we've got to step on the gas in a major, major way. Um, Corporations that are trying to do the right thing need some guidelines and some, some goalposts. And as the market today exists, it's not there yet. And so I think that the work that the task force is doing is really key and important, but the dirt is going to be in the details going forward. What's going to be included? What's not going to be included? So I, as interested as I think I am and the marketplace on and at Evolution Environmental Asset Management as an investor in offsets, I'm clearly interested in this roadmap. The one thing I will say, maybe a little counterweight to what Bill say, I feel a lot more comfortable. Yes, this is heavy-handed, top-down, et cetera. But to get to the scale of reductions that we need to make a difference for the planet, um, we're going to have to go that way some way, some shape, somehow. And that standard, and to be quite frank, the markets that are out there today, the standard in terms of quality is not where it needs to be in terms of offsets. And mm-hmm. that's our focus. Our focus is on, on the premium side of the market, but we need to see at least a much higher standard baseline than exists today. And I hope that the Corning Task Force can get there. Now there'll be basis markets. You know, blue carbon will trade at one price and mangroves will trade at a different price and industrial gas will trade at a different price. And even within those categories, there's gonna be 20 different prices depending on, you know, does uh, Apple opening a store in um, Saigon tomorrow and they need Saigon credits or the Boston Red Sox, you know, who we've worked with becoming carbon neutral, you know, it's Earth Day and they wanna do something and they want something Boston based. What's the price for Boston based offsets? So Mm -hmm. I I think the market needs this signal my only but but does the everything you've just said? I mean, the task force is the task force helping you to find all this this premium stuff. First of all, it doesn't I sound like I you don't need think them. it's the I don't think it's the task force's job to find the premium stuff. Right, that's our jobs in the private sector. And so, I agree with you, Bill. Like, we don't want it too heavy handed. And from my perspective. The fact that it's not, you know, the CDM executive board was a UN functionary. And to me, that was really scary in terms of how they operated and how they dealt with CDM and the shortfalls of quality of CDM. And I think that's something that we need to make sure as an industry that we are looking at the highest quality or or higher quality standards that we can go above and beyond. So I think, for example, Bill, your platform, there's gonna be 20 different things trading as a Delta to what the standard is. And I, I for one, am glad that it's, it's the private sector, NGOs and others being involved and not just the UN body trying to create a market because that's really scary. I want to drill down into that in a few minutes, but I do want to ask Bruce a question here too. Bruce, you've been around these markets 
for a long time, as we all have. I mean, again, just just very impressive with your work at the banks and and advising clients. What what are what are you seeing in in your work today? To some of the points that Andy made and, and Bruce made on uh, and Peter, and for that matter, on on all of the uh, the issues that you see in the market marketplace. What are they telling you, and how are you advising them on not only from what happened you know, from the report, but also way before that, as you're starting to you know as as companies are starting to get involved here. To the task force, I think, you know, the fact that it's there and is bringing these issues together is a positive thing and recognizing the need for scaling. I share some of the concerns about top-down approach and bureaucratic approach. I, I think they want to avoid being a CDM-type board and want to be more of an ISO standard. And the closer they can get to that, the better. They've set themselves a very ambitious set of goals, which I think are going to be hard to fulfill. And reality will bite in, in the sense that, you know, capital ideas will flow to the best places. What I'm seeing from my clients, you know, for some clients who've made commitments without really knowing what they were committing to on, say, net zero, this is a scary thing. But these big companies with good resources do the research and they find out pretty quickly what is a good credit and what is not a good credit. So... Whilst we need standards, and I agree, standards will help capital flow and, and build confidence, I think we need markets to be flexible and allow innovation, what Bill was saying. So the, the real trade-off here is between having a standard-setting board which gives some guidance and clarity, a, a, a degree of transparency, but allows things to move. And I think you know the biggest scary things, if you're going for net zero strategies, A, understanding that means removals. <laughs> I, and that's a much narrower pool. And B, once you've realized that and know you've got to go and buy them, realizing that you're going to have some very, very uh, persistent NGOs looking at what you're doing and holding you to account. And, and that is almost the compliance side of this market. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think People are making commitments and they've got to make commitments. There's a really interesting article in the FT today uh, on the MSCI um, index. Their nine top companies in terms of pollution will bust the Paris limits in six years by themselves. So, what? And yeah, no, seriously. So this is the this is the demand wave coming at us. You know, some of those companies won't really want to do anything, but that's the level of latent demand sitting out there. So we're going to need to find good quality offsets. There'll be people who say it's buying indulgences is rubbish. Doesn't matter. So long as the market and and Peter's right, there's an ecosystem of organizations and knowledge which is still there just, we can rebuild from and we can rebuild better. If the task force can help us do that, and reality bites as the task force grows into its tasks, then I think, you know, this is going to be good. Yep, exactly. I think that, you know, when you look at quality, right, everybody talks about quality. You know, Peter, you talked about it, Bill, uh, Andy, and everybody's talked about the quality of the credits. How, when, when that demand is so high, does that lead to less quality credits or anything that's available in the marketplace to come out there because people are searching for ways to to buy offsets right and is that is that an issue do you see that the market is exists as an otc market Andy, you see this all the time now right it's primarily an otc market still so does that otc market lend itself to 
less or lower quality credits that, that you see in the marketplace. I mean, I'll throw that out there. Maybe, Andy, you want to you know, maybe start it off there, start the discussion off. Well, the beauty of OTC markets are that they're bespoke, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we can go to Sears and buy a suit, or we can go to Savile Row and have something custom made. And so it depends. You know, when you when you talk about Fortune 100 companies and then you talk about what they're trying to do to enhance their brands, you know, they're 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 shopping on Savile Row, um, and they're looking at removal credits and high cost credits. And now that'll be a portion of what they do. But the OTC market allows you to actually buy specific to your needs. You know, if you're trying to bundle with an LNG cargo you might have a lower standard in terms of what you're looking for um, in terms of that offset. So listen, we see, you know, we have clients buying 50 50 cent or 50 euro cent CERs from historical banked projects. And to be quite frank, that's way below the cost of actually implementing the project, but these are older historical projects. And then you have people that want to spend a hundred dollars a ton on a direct air capture or more. I mean, direct air capture today really is a three, $400 a ton technology. But we've, we all see the demand wave coming. Mm-hmm. You know, we looked at it on the um, evolution environmental asset management side. We just looked at the um, 25% of the Fortune 500 that had taken on a carbon disclosure project commitment uh, on net zero. And on that alone, you know, three, four years out, supply doesn't meet demand. Mm-hmm. So when you start looking, you know, and, and when, you know, Bruce talks about these nine companies in the MSCI that are going to burst the bubble, right? We don't have Saudi Aramco with a net zero <laughs> target yet, right? We don't have Pet- PetroChina. So what does that mean for prices? I mean, prices have to go higher, but also the biggest challenge today and if you look historically at where the market's been, the market up until now has been companies buying one or two years of credits or going back and looking at settling the score historically. And, and, and you know, this is why we named the company Evolution Markets way back when, was markets change and they grow and they commoditize. And you know, I think the ultimate goal is a in, high quality commoditized market that all these other credits can trade as a delta, either negative or positive too. But when we look at what needs to happen, the financing that needs to happen, up until now, the market has been driven by buyers at corporations looking to buy one year because the buyer of those credits was in the environmental group or the sustainability group it, you know that will move to treasury and then eventually it will move to trading right and that's where the exchanges that bill and tom have been working on that's where our vision way back when for green exchange was but you know we're not there yet and we have mm-hmm. the market is crawling where we're an infant and we've got a long way to go till you know, we look at the billions of tons that we're trading in the EU and California markets and the derivatives that we're trading off of that in terms of swaps and options, et cetera. It's all coming. And what I would say, I, I think is right, when you guys talk about this infrastructure that's there in this historical context, 
and and um, um, the knowledge base that's there. The fact that we have these kinds of guys that Bruce and Peter and Tom that have been around markets and these markets for quite some time, and there's you know ten thousand others mm-hmm. ready to build these markets. But we've and it's going to happen a lot quicker than anything we've ever seen in the environmental markets before. Go ahead, Bruce. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Jump in there. On that, Andy, I I think also one of the key things on building supply, particularly when you get to nature-based solutions, is people who've actually run and invested and seen a nature-based or an agribusiness type project through. There's a lot of systemic natural risk there, and it doesn't sit on spreadsheets. You know, it can be expressed in spreadsheets, but it's actually real life experience of dealing with these these real things which happen in uncontrolled environments. And I think I think those sorts of skill sets are going to be a real premium uh, on the supply side. So the other the other thing that's going to help is sorry, go ahead, Andy. I was just going to say when we we have a proprietary tool that we use on the asset management side to rate and rank every project in the world that exists in the registry. And one of the heaviest weightings is around the developers themselves and their track record. And that that is one area that we need to see bolt apply. There's gonna be a hundred times the developers out there. And, and you know, we can all put the right financial structure and systems and standards into place, but if we can't deploy the capital, into um, you know projects um, at scale, it really doesn't matter. We're not going to get there. Yeah. So it's about project risk management on the ground in reality, which you know to me that's going to be the differentiating factor on the supply side. I honestly think that the biggest thing we need to create is a strong, dependable, and bankable price signal. Once you create a price signal that's dependable and bankable, you can then take that to the bank, finance the projects, and the markets will scale up. Um, you know, if you sit in the OTC world, um, you're not sending a clear price signal. Every time you buy a carbon credit, it's just like buying a boat or a painting. There's always a, a what if or a difference. So. Um, unless we have standardization and we have price signal that allows investors and speculators to come in, then, I mean, we and we all know we're moving into a carbon-constrained world, right? So um, how do we invest in that today? There's a huge pool of investor capital that wants to go long this asset class. But when they look at it, they go, well, wait a minute, do I buy the project from Malaysia or do I want the one in Africa or what, what do I buy, Right. So what we're trying to do is to create an, an instrument or find the contract that actually allows this, this unlocks this money. That will create upward pressure on price, and it will drive investment into projects. And the quality of the people that will be executing projects will be in line with the price of the underlying credit uh, that's going to be created. Because I think what's happening now is you know the price of carbon is so low that you really can't spend a lot of money on the on 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 the project itself but once the price is at 50 now you can start throwing some real talent at these things so peter you you um you've seen these benchmarks be you know, tried to be developed for many many years right we tried it back in the early 2000s 
um, in their various markets, whether it was carbon or SO2 and, and NOx markets. How do you see this you know, from, a, from a benchmark perspective and an exchange solution perspective? How do you see that basically fitting into everything that, that we've been talking about so far? I, I, I see regional markets. I see differentiation on project quality. Uh, I don't see any kind of one standard, one futures contract for any of this. It's too diffuse. It has many different factors in, in, the, in where you're doing a project, what you're doing a project for. Look, look what's happening in red. Red Plus now has taken over quite a bit of the offset market in the last five years. So I, I actually would, you know, flight to quality, I mean, bulletproof. At Oxford, we, we've been given almost 5 million credits uh, in the Amazon and we're going to securitize those, but but right now, and we had TUV the certification, so we 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 want a bulletproof reputational risk, which we have to really talk about uh, is quite important. But I don't see one market. I don't see one futures price. We've got two viable futures markets, EU and and California. We've got sixty four markets on the compliance side, and more to come. And then in the U.S., I don't see any federal legislation coming at all, even though economists love carbon taxes, the politicians don't. So I don't see a carbon tax. So I actually see a big opening for the, the voluntary markets, a huge opening. And, and going into manifestation of renewable energy credits or you know, and, and the absurdity of additionality. I mean, come on, we gotta, we got to get the train out of the station. We can't worry about pleasing everybody. But I, but my game right now is reputational risk. Have the best quality and have them verified. And it's not going to be one price. It's going to be many different prices in many different locales. So similar to basis markets, the way they developed in, exactly. in global That's markets for natural gas and for, uh, for, for oil, crude oil or for whatever. But natural gas basis markets are a good example of how, how that differential between regions, whether it's in, you know, in, in one on one continent or across two different well, continents. Well, uh, yesterday I was develop. talking to uh, to South Africa about biodiversity credits. Something that's a, you might think it's a pipsqueak market, but it's going to save species. And you know, the, the U.S. has been very, very progressed on species banking. People don't know that, but they're, they're just things. They're ideas that can come and be disseminated to other locales, and, and it's just not that simple. So, Bill and Tom, you know, your work at Air Carbon to develop an exchange-based token structured contracts. Uh, how, how, do, how, do you see, how do you see that fit into what Peter's saying? And even what Andy was saying, where you have you know, the Boston Red Sox trying to do one offset and Vietnam, a coffee shop in Vietnam trying to do another. How does that all get linked together in an exchange product? Maybe not just only as an OTC product, but even something that can also mitigate risk. Because don't forget, as the cost of these products, as the cost of carbon goes up, you, you introduce more counterparty more risk, more you know, more risk on an OTC side versus what can be done in, say, an exchange-traded futures market. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, Joe, you and I worked together 20, again, 20 years ago, and, and Peter, I've known you for longer than that. Um, you know, market formation is really driven from the bottom up. And, we, and so if we look at, I look at the two crude oils that developed in the 80s, um, they're very different today, but they're still, they've still got the same name, right? They've evolved over time. What are the baskets? They're actually baskets. Bill and I took an approach on not trying to pick a specific product or a specific region, but we wanted to basketize carbon to sort of flatten out that. And the Corsia compliance um, framework was the easiest 
reach initially to do that. And, and so that's our CET product. And equally, it's the it's the geo on, on CME now. Um, that That's just a starting point for, for us. Um, um, I agree with Peter that we're seeing regionalization. Um, I'm, I'm seeing silos grow already. Um, some of them are along political lines. Some of them are on our absolute border lines. Um, and, and a bit of confusion, whether you want a carbon tax or I want an ETS that's got voluntary or an ETS that's an allowance market. And they're all sort of getting blurred the lines. Um, I think the voluntary market to me, when I started to look at this and we had the first conversations around it, was I wanted fungibility. And I think that's really an important part. Fun <laughs> Is Andy, are you smiling there? I don't I'm know. <laughs> <laughs> I want fungibility too. Yeah, right. And I think that's really the key here. And I think the voluntary markets have really got the only opportunity to create fungibility. And I think, you know, so the market formation that we're seeing early on are we're dealing with a number. Well, we've got a very broad spectrum. We've got 100 and as of tonight, we've got 132 companies and entities that are that have signed up for air carbon um, and they're in various degrees of onboarding. Um, and we've got an active market and it's growing um, daily. But the the interesting thing is we've got some very sophisticated people on board that are really need a lot of education, a lot of handholding, and they're really bright people. Um, and a lot of them get the S part and a lot of them get the G part. A lot, very few of them get the E part right now. Um, and that's and that's okay. I've, I've done that before. Um, Joe, you and I did that back in uh, in Clearpoint launch, you know, post, post Enron collapse. So it can be done. Um, it's timing, though. I, I think significantly we have a much shorter period of time to allow the market to evolve. I mean, the, you, you referenced the Henry Hub. When we launched the Hub in 90, I, you know, I, I was part of that. I was the chairman of the Nat Gas Committee, and I traded the first day. We had one price and one point, and then we were happy three months later that we got a second price, and it was called the Chicago City Gate. Now we had two, peep, two points. I think it's 300-plus points today, right? That's an evolution, but that's that's 30 years uh, for that to get to the mature point where it is. I think carbon, we're already seeing people wanting to use air carbon, but coming in going, hey, we like what you're doing, but can you give me the Cambodia um, hydro? Because uh, I've got a, I need to, and we've, we actually did a trade like that. So, but we know that that person wants to get educated. He wants to come back into the mainstream. Ultimately, they'll be trading baskets or fungible carbon, not, not that unique spectrum. I think that's it's similar. It's similar to that commodity that you always talk about, Tom. I mean, the sense that we have a GNT, for example, and we also have a feature which is called Carbon Finder on the exchange. So the GNT has a tradable price. But if you want your GNT with a specific characteristics, like you want it a certain geography, a certain registry, a certain vintage, a certain rating, whatever it is, you can you can pick that and send out a specific bid. It's no different than you know, asking for a different delivery location for, for a specific contract on any other commodity, right? Um, but there is that reference price, that GNT sort of ties them all together. And then depending on, on where the demand is for that particular type of credit, it might trade above it or below it. The, the creation of these contracts is part sub, very subjective, right? So we try it out. Does it make sense? Is there demand for it? And then we, you know, we see if it if it works. I'm I'm surprised at, at the total volume that we see on the CETs because, you know, in terms of environmental integrity, I'm I'm the first one to say that it's not very, you know, very good. But it it is the the mm -hmm. tradable asset right now. 
Yeah. So, yeah. and that I think that's really important um, in terms of, um, and I appreciate that actual acknowledgement, Bill, because I think one of the concerns that I have, and one of the reasons that I think the work of the task force is important, is that we don't want to slay the golden goose. You know, I don't think in one year at Evolution Markets we've ever had as many new counterparties as we've had right now, and the amount of you know, just in the California market, the market's up 30% this year, and that's uh, probably the, the second biggest active market globally next to the EU system. Obviously, the EU market's up more than 30% over the year. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we've probably seen over 100 million uh, tons in speculators' hands. And so investors and speculators, just like we've seen excitement in the EV space or any other clean technology, There's this rush and people want to be involved and people want to invest, whether they're a small investor or an institutional investor. So I I think this is one of the roles that I think the task force can help and and can play is getting into a tradable instrument where we do set that price point and there is a price for carbon. And, And what I was saying in terms of financing or what Bruce was talking about, about bankability or or bill about bankability. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. we, we've got to get to that point where there's bankability for the developer. Yes. And so my point was today, the market is from a end user and a consumer perspective, they're still buying out of the sustainability group a year or two. That's not going to finance a project, even if it is 30, $40 a ton. We need five, seven, 10 year markets. Um, You know, in the US, one of the challenges that we've had in the rec markets is that there was two buyers past three years in terms of recs. And we're the most active in the, you know, in the renewable uh, world uh, in, in the US. And we just didn't have that seven to 10 year curve. And so that's also important is like getting beyond the spot market and getting beyond bankability. But but some of the the smarter clients I work with are are taking positions, right? You know, there's an entrepreneur business. It's not a billion-dollar business, but it's a really good-sized business. He um, gone out, done the work on working out what their real carbon footprint is, what their scope one, two, two, two and three and then we took the decision last November. We bought five years ahead of projects, which are good quality projects, which link right. to his operations as well. You know, so we're seeing people who are decision makers and owners of some of these businesses getting it, organizing their internal business to reduce their emissions to the max, and then really look at how they cover themselves. And I think we're going to see large corporates do that. And what we're working on is projects, because he's in agribusiness, that are going to be nature-based that he's going to generate for himself and for others using the skill sets they've got. So I I see this as a really exciting time. Um, And it's going to be corporately driven by by people who understand the risks that are coming down the line and what the opportunity that creates. I'm with you, Andy. I, I would like the task force to be really successful in one or two areas, but do it in a light-handed way that allows innovation. It's it's critical that we get some core standards in. I would love there to be a core carbon contract, which really worked, 
I think it's going to be harder to achieve than than is thought, and it's going to take you know some real work around that. But these are the sorts of things we need put in place, and then allow the market to work. It, it's you know there's been a lot of numbers thrown out there as far as how big the market is, and Andy, you touched on this a little bit, but and also Peter a bit. You know, is it a hundred billion dollar market? Is that something that's going to bring in new investment? That's going to bring in higher quality credits? So I'll throw that out there to. To, to anybody that wants to answer that. But I think that's an important part because if it is that big of a marketplace, if it is something that, you know, that can 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 entice investments through funds, through investment vehicles, you know, how do you see that um, bringing in or changing the marketplace or even developing that standard that, that you talk about, Bruce? Anybody want to take that? It's, uh, yeah, I, I, think it's a, I, I was just going through our um, projections on the market yesterday. And by 2030, we had it, I think if we looked at some outside forecasts, et cetera, had it on average about 93, 95 billion uh, in terms of value by 2030. And I personally think that's small. Mm-hmm. I don't I, I think it's actually bigger than that. <clears throat> that might be the com- the buy side market. Um, I think Tom and, and you, Joe, you guys know this. We, you know, I started out in the gas pit on Dimex. Yep. Way back when, I remember uh, when Tom was the ring chairman and I was just a phone clerk along the way. But um, what I would say is from the wellhead to the burner tip, the average BTU of gas trades 10 times. Yeah. So it yeah. trades mm-hmm. as physical. It might trade as part of a basis swap. It may trade as part of an option. It might yeah. trade as a financial index. You know, But that's the rule of thumb um, mm-hmm. that we've looked at. And, you know, if you just look at the volumes that are going on in the EU market today, they're pretty incredible. And to be quite frank, I think investors are chomping at the bit. I mean, it's it's one of the reasons that we've created this separate asset management business. You know, we see incredible opportunity. Um, and to be quite frank, you know, there has to be a focus on quality. Mm-hmm. There has to be a standard significantly above Corsia if we're going to get there. And there might be, I think, as Peter said, you know, today was the day supposedly the bell was ringing on the Chinese carbon market. I think 15, 18 years ago, Evolution did a joint venture with the Shanghai Carbon Exchange. We gave up on that about 10 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, after we hadn't yeah. traded one ton. But I'm excited that 18 years later or whatever, that that they're, they're launching today. Again. And, and yep. listen, there's going to be a price there, just as there's a, there's, um, a price in Colombia and there's a price in the U.S. and there's a price in California and there's a price in Reggie. But for the voluntary market and corporations to achieve what needs to be done on the private sector, you know, we need to see some sort of, you know, key standard, just as WTI became the de facto standard for crude oil. And then Brent, we had two main standards, and now we've got Dubai Sour and all that, you know, coming to market. And you start building out the curve, right? You start building out positions for, you know, not just spot markets. You start building right. out one, two, as we were talking about. You build out your your visibility into those into those pricing of those markets out three, five, ten years. Those are things that really will and should come as a development 
of a marketplace. And if we get there, if their investment is now, as you say, Andy, it's more than a hundred billion dollars, and and it's you know a multiple of that. That will happen. We've seen, you know, Tom and I and everybody on this call has seen markets develop in in in, in regulated listed markets for many many years, and how that multiplier just begins to expand and brings more transparency to those markets uh, as as the curve develops. So I think that that's an important part of the development of any any marketplace. I think yeah as you said Andy, you know it's it started in you know, things tried were tried in the early 2000s uh you you know in China and here in the US and and it just takes time to get to that point. Hopefully the you know the the task force will be an impetus for more thought uh, process on this. I think it will. I think it'll be important for everybody to you know get their collective thoughts together. Okay, here's a recommendation. How do we get to the next step? Really, whether it's you know something pieces of we take up the task force, or do we you know come and do our own? You know, we like that, but we don't, we want to do our own solution. So it is something to uh, I think that that's important to uh, to really consider. Um, you know, I think we have a few minutes left here. This obviously went pretty quickly. I did want to ask one more question of, of everybody in. You know the group here. So, what what do you what probability of success do you assign to the prospect of a well-functioning global carbon market? Is it going to take two years? Is it going to be five years? Will it happen? You know uh, what what and how do we maybe not go back to the mistakes that were made in the past as we were just talking about? I'll throw that out there to anybody that wants to answer that. Hey, hey, Peter, you want to take uh, that? Two, or, yeah, two, two to five, two to five years, because right now a little bit of the wild west. So we'll just have to see how it matures. But there's mm-hmm. there's demand that'll strike innovation. Clearly, clearly. Mm-hmm. Bruce, you were saying uh, two to five years as well. It'll be a bumpy road, uh, but there'll be good things happening, and success will be a panel in five years' time or even three years' time, which is a lot younger and more diverse than we are. <laughs> exactly. And actually, exactly. I talked to a point because. The, the starvation of capital to this market in the last 10 years has frozen the development of talent. And I think one of the great things which is going to happen as a result of it coming to life again is young, really bright kids are going to come into this market and push hard and do things that need doing and innovate in a way that no task force or anyone sitting here can imagine. And that's exciting. And success is for the task force is actually creating some conditions to allow that to happen because we need talent, um, mm-hmm. energy, and guts. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, <clears throat> yeah. I just um, having having been around the business long enough and 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 seen adoption of benchmarks, and I, I agree with Peter. It's usually somewhere two to five years, and pretty typically the adoption comes out of crisis. It doesn't come out of hey, you're running a good market. And if you look at yeah, Peter, it's the truth though. If you look at the, uh, you know, TI was launched in '83 and it bumbled along the bottom, but in '86 with the Arab oil crisis, you know, with the price collapse and, and the netback deals, people, suddenly people needed a marketplace that had a good hedge and good performance. And same thing in that gas. Um, it, we, we launched in '90 and it was okay, but it was it was a series of hurricanes '93 to '95 when the rest of the world couldn't produce any gas and the Henry Hub was still open and and. The firms that wouldn't trade a futures contract suddenly turn to the exchange for performance. And I think it's going to be the same same way for carbon, but we're already in a global crisis. Um, we're, we're on the cutting edge of, of, of a situation where we need, we need a base carbon price of some sort. Obviously, it's our objective to be part of that uh, at Air Carbon, but more importantly, it's adoption of, of a standard pricing methodology and, and, a, and an exchange structure that can satisfy that. But 
building the curve is really important. And, and the curves got built on a legacy in the benchmarks really out of demand of finance. Um, spec, you know, guys on the floor weren't pricing something 15 years out on day one, but they did price it when, when a JP Morgan came in with a deal because they were pricing 20-year term deals up against Marabeni in Japan. Right. He said, I need a mark-to-market price for 20 years on my term. And then we made the market. I think you're going to see the same scenario for carbon yep. as you get out into the 10, 20, or 30-year life cycles of carbon projects. Um, so finance, I think, is going to drive that long, that long curve. Yeah. Well, I think I think Tom, that's Andy? Point, that point of like, you know, the projects need 10 to 20 years of finance. Yes. And yep. then when you look at the sectors that Peter talked about, these are industries that make 20, 30 year investment decisions, right? Yep. You know, if you're creating the next uh, seven series aircraft for Boeing, you're trying to figure out how many, you know, 20 or 25 years of orders, you know, um, all of us love, you know, or more many of us have flown on uh, Airbus 380. Well, that had a life cycle of about eight to 10 years and that has not paid off for Airbus. And so they really look at this 20, 30 year investment horizon. The steel industry has to do that. Yep. Um, the energy industry <clears throat> up until this point where it was fixed, fixed point, large scale power plants had to do that. Now with solar, we have a new age, um, certainly a new age in wind, we've got to build an infrastructure for that. But in terms of excitement, you know, in, in my 25 years plus in the environmental markets, and, and just to kind of date myself, I was in a room with 12 people doing acid rain trades, SO2 trades way back when, and that was the entire uh, global market for environmental products <clears throat> and to see where we are today and where we're headed and some of the young people that I'm working with and, and Bruce was mentioning, it's incredibly exciting. It's incredibly exciting, the technology and everything. And, and I guess the one thing that I would sum up with, um, and I, I think this echoes what Bill's kind of saying is like, the Carney task force is used to working at governmental level and big, big corporate, <clears throat> et cetera. And that's all important to actually get us to scale. But let's not forget that what is going to drive this and make it a success is the entrepreneurs globally that will drive these businesses and adapt, whether it's somebody running a forestry project or an ag project on the ground in Central America or Africa or deploying cook stoves or whatever. But the scale, you know, this is the biggest opportunity of our lifetime. And um, we have to succeed. So when we talk about, uh, is it a two years to the market develop or five years? It's got to be closer to the two years because if you look at the, the types yeah, of reductions that we have to get to by 2030, we better we better move quick. You step on the gas for sure. Uh, Bruce, you want to comment? Yeah, just, just one other thing. Listening to Andy talk about those type of projects, I think one of the really exciting things about the next evolution of this market is all of those types of projects you discussed carry other benefits just other than carbon. You know, there's a really interesting piece on BBC Environment on, on the news saying, you know, uh, attacking carbon offsets 
And then this NGO guy said, yeah, you can criticize offsets to a certain degree, but look at all the other great things you get with it. We've <laughs> got to make this work. So I think this is really, really exciting. And, you know, plugging the smarter markets concept, uh, you know, this is hosted by smarter markets. I think what's really exciting about this is we are going to make markets smarter and able to price the sort of things which are going to be important for sanity on this this planet, you know, and that younger people want to see priced in. You know, this is what we're actually talking about. And this is why it's really, really important and to get it right. So thank you for the opportunity to be part of this today. Oh, yeah. it's, uh, it's all important. It's just a starting point. We never touched on technology, right? Technology was really hardly even mentioned in the in the task force. And that's something that will make the market more efficient and maybe get to that two-year period faster than than the 10 or 15 or 20 years that you know that, that people think may may, ta- may happen here. Bill, what's your thoughts on on how long you think it will take from a, from a timing perspective? Uh, two to three. I mean, it's um, obviously just a guess. Um, one thing just that came to mind when Bruce was uh, talking about the enhancements that that come with carbon. Um, it's pretty interesting because we've we've actually tried to trade the enhancements, but it's very difficult to to trade them because there's no quantity, right? You can't like if you do women empowerment, you can't, you know, there's there's no quantity attached to it. So the only way that you can actually unlock financial markets to push uh, enhancements is through carbon. Carbon is an interesting sort of hook where you can attach other enhancements. So if you're a corporation that wants to promote health or promote um, mitigate poverty or uh, whatever, uh, you can do that through the carbon markets. And um, that's that's a really cool thing. It's the only way that I can think of that you can actually quantify it and and unleash the power of the carbon mar- of the financial markets. And that's when you, you start trying to figure out what are the premium carbon offsets, what's going to trade above the standard, right? Yeah. How you track Correct. and um, uh, quantify the sustainable development goals and how they are attached to each project or how you take an existing project and steer that project towards those goals. Mm-hmm. And as Peter said, you know, biodiversity, that is SDG number one in terms of what everybody is thinking about on the corporate side today um, in terms of what's desirable. And um, that might change in terms of focus a year, two years, tomorrow. But if we're successful, you know, and and to be quite frank, I think the OTC markets are going to thrive. I think Bill and Tom's markets, I think the exchanges are going to thrive. You know, the interplay between you know, you know, there's a lot of trading that's going on today in terms of, you know, people trading OTC to bring it over and tokenize it today. Yep. Yep. And so, you know, there's a lot of creativity going on. And and again, this is the first inning of at exactly. least nine inning game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I did want to be cognizant of everybody's time here. So we are, we are at the top of the hour. I think it went really, really fast. I think the discussion was fantastic. I, I want to thank all of you uh, for, for being here. I, I think it was a, a really, I think certainly we, we do want to have these discussions further on down the line to talk about technology. Clearly, there's more work to be done here. And we think that this discussion, and hope that this discussion that we had today can just be the starting point, as you say, Andy, for a catalyst for, for future debate. 
Um, I do want to advise, you know, remind, remind everybody to continue to follow our Ambex Smarter Markets podcast. We've had some great discussions on there on environmental markets uh, that will have more information on this and other important subjects related to not only energy markets, but certainly on uh, environmental markets. So again, thank you all. We didn't get to the questions that we had from the audience. Uh, I think it was a great discussion uh, and look forward to, uh, to having you guys on again. So th- thanks very, you all very much for your time. That concludes this week's episode of Smarter Markets. For free episode transcripts, visit smartermarketspod.com. Smarter Markets is 100% listener-driven, so please help more people discover the podcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Smarter Markets is presented for informational and entertainment purposes only. The information presented on Smarter Markets should not be construed as investment advice. Always consult a licensed investment professional before making investment decisions. The views and opinions expressed on Smarter Markets are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's hosts or sponsors. Smarter Markets, its producers, sponsors and hosts, Eric Townsend and Abex Technologies, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on Smarter Markets. Markets.